The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading is from John 4, 1 through 19. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus asked her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, and whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Good morning. Uh, I, if you're visiting today, um, I am not uh, Scott Sauls. My name is Richie Sessions. I am the uh, RUF, Reform University Fellowship Campus Minister at Vanderbilt, and I will be uh, pinch hitting today, uh, happily. Um, and we're in a series called Encounters with Christ. And so I get the privilege of talking about the woman in Samaria. I can't help but think that that Jesus was meditating on uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. You may not know that passage. Um, Jesus definitely would have known it, maybe even had it memorized, uh, this part of the Old Testament. But it's almost like he's thinking about this passage as he's talking to this woman. And I'll read it to you. It says, my people have committed two sins, God says. 
They have forsaken me the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, that is reservoirs, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. It's not just that we're thirsty, it's that we have broken ways of trying to deal with that thirst, which causes all of our problems. So we have a fundamental problem that we've left the, the fountain, we've left life itself when we leave God, all humanity. But then the chaos, and we're going to talk a lot about that today, the chaos comes because we're trying to deal with that thirst. We're trying to quench that thirst. We have no idea how to do it, and then all our problems come, and that's who this woman is. She's chaotic. It's not just that we live apart from God. The problem is that we try and take care of that thirst on our own, and we must have water. I think about the words of uh, another uh, prophet of sorts, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. Um, I got a wife and kids in Baltimore, Jack. I went out for a ride, I never went back. Like a river, they don't know where it's flowing. I took a wrong turn, I just kept going. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Lay down your money, you play your part, everybody's got a hungry heart. I met her in a Kingstown bar. We fell in love, I knew it had to end. We took what we had, we ripped it apart. Now I'm down here in Kingstown again. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Everybody's got a thirsty heart. So not only are we alienated from God, we're thirstier and we're alienated, and that alienates us even more. And all our attempts has actually made us thirstier and dirtier. It's a mess. We're thirsty at the deepest place every one of us, and have had attempt after attempt to deal with that. And so we show up here maybe on a Sunday, and I don't presume to say how you're feeling today. I don't want to do that. But don't you know the chaos, the thirst? So we're looking at two things today. Actually, three points. First point is our chaotic thirst our chaotic thirst, and second, the deep love of Jesus that meets us there. And then so what? Chaotic thirst, the deep love of Jesus, and so what? And I hope you'll be um, encouraged by this and see Jesus in a new way. Now, chaotic thirst, and it's, it's in this woman. And just give a, a sketch of this woman, just sort of a quick bio of this woman to talk about how chaotic her heart is and how thirsty she is. And I hope that you'll be able to relate to her. She's despised. She's a despised person. She's part of it. The Bible's written from the perspective of the Jews. And the Samaritans are among the most despised, if not the most despised people group. They were part of this uh, former Israel. They, they, they were Israelites of the northern tribe of Israel without getting too much into the history. history. The northern part of Israel that intermarried with the Gentiles after they fell uh, to captivity, and they adopted uh, their rituals, their traditions, they intermarried, they were seen as a mixed race. They had their own temple, 
not the temple in Jerusalem. So they're seen as sort of a knockoff version of the true Jews. They only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. Later on in this discussion that Jesus has with this woman, she actually talks about their different views of worship and Jesus really, in a loving way, shuts her down like she's wrong. They're wrong. In fact, the, the hatred is so intense that the first century uh, historian Josephus says there's actually a, a war that breaks out um, during around the, and around the time of Jesus between the Samaritans and the Jews. So they're actual enemies. And she would have known what Jesus and his people thought of her. 500 years of hatred, okay? She's despised. She's part of a despised group. That's why she says, why are you asking me for water? You're not supposed to ask me for water. What are you doing? Entrenched generational institutionalized prejudice. Second thing, she's not only despised, she's marginalized because she's a woman. Um, not important. In fact, uh, there's one in my studies, I, I came across this one rabbinic saying about women around that time that one should not talk with a woman on the street. Not even with his own wife. Certainly not with someone else's wife because of the gossip of men. It is forbidden to give a woman any greeting. Walk past them. Marginalized, maybe a better word for that is invisible. Despised. Invisible. Damaged. It's the third one. Hurt. Five husbands. Now, I've preached on this passage before, and this is like actually, this, you know, a lot of times when preachers preach, they have like reheat sermons, like reheat and serve. This is actually a brand new sermon, okay? Not that you care. But when I've preached this before, I just ganged up on this woman. Because that's what a lot of the commentaries do. Like, oh, she's so bad. She's a floozy. I actually had one guy say that. She's a floozy. And we're... I think before you even know, we don't know why she had five husbands. She couldn't divorce a husband. They would have had to divorce her. Now, we don't know why she was divorced five times, but five times she, she had husbands that either died or divorced her. So before we just sort of pile on, think of how damaged and hurt she is five this is the this is a sad woman a damaged woman and she's also guilty she's guilty because she, Jesus says that you're not living with a man who is your husband and that, that was seen as like sin definitely in that day and age like she was not she was in sin, like, so she's damaged and she's guilty, but we don't know the details of that or how long she was living with this person. And so here's my point. She's a victim and a perpetrator. And so 
A lot of times what we want to do is to make it simple. We don't do enough work on someone like this. And so what we do is make simple, and then we just sort of assign her to all the bad people that Jesus was nice. Yay, Jesus, for being so nice to the terrible person. But like, here's the thing. It's not that simple. I've been doing ministry 15 years. Is she a victim or a perpetrator? The answer is yes, and it's yes for every one of us too. She's chaotic. She's deserted. I love that word, deserted. It desert as like d- desert, de- you've, des- you've deserted someone. <laughs> That's who she is. That's why she's in the sixth hour going to get water. It's at noon. You didn't get water at noon in the desert. You got water before the sunrise and at sunset, because it's the only cool time to go get water, that's when the rest of the women would go get water, is then. No one went to get water. That's why she's all alone, or she thinks she's going to be all alone. She's all alone getting water in the middle of the day because she's so ashamed. She can't gather water with everyone else because she's a cursed human being, an invisible, marginalized, despised, guilty, ashamed person. She's a total wreck. Chaos. Just see her walking in the middle of the day. You see her, just think about her doing that. You know, hurricanes and deserts, they come in every shape and size. Which brings us to ourselves. The chaotic thirst of our hearts. There's a a psychologist, an interesting guy, who wrote a book that I love called Guilt and Grace. Back in the, he wrote it in the 1940s or 50s, his name's Paul Turnier, and he says this, nothing makes us so lonely as our secrets. Just what it means to be human. Elliot Cherry at Midtown Fellowship, 12 South, he was talking about this idea, he quoted Martin Heidegger, and he said that, that Heidegger had this, this concept of what he called, that humans have thrown we feel thrown into the world. He actually, he made up a word, thrownness. Human beings feel just thrown. Like we're in midair, like we just wake up, we've just been thrown. It's a good way of describing this woman. I think it's a good way of describing me. Just loose ends. Just like a big puzzle that we can't put together. I'm lying to you to tell you I've put the puzzle together. I've lost the pieces. I, had a, I, was, I said that to someone uh, at one point. I was counseling somebody, and I said, we're just like a puzzle we can't put back together. And he's like, yeah, except my puzzle pieces are on fire. Hers, that's her. That's a human condition. That's, that's the human condition. We have broken ways of dealing with our broken hearts. That's this conversation about thirst. She wants to come here. She thinks he's talking about water, just like last week about Nicodemus. He, she thinks he's actually talking about water, and he's talking about you're thirsty, and you have no idea where to find this water, this living water. 
thirsty and thirsty and thirsty, and you keep looking and keep looking. And so here's what happens. We give ourselves away to people. We just give ourselves away to our job. We become obsessed with our work. We never put down our phones. We, give in a, we live in a constant state of noise, news, sport, music, social media. There's no silence because when we're silent, that's when the snakes come out of the basket. Hypervigilant. I remember one counselor said that we live like we're, we're trying to keep a, a beach ball under the water. You ever done that? Just like that thing. That's this woman. That's you. That's me. All the regrets and unfinished projects and the faces of people we run over or we've run by. The little incessant voice reminding us we haven't done enough and that you're a phony. Or maybe you're like me. The way I deal was just like constantly snacking. Just I'm just wool. When I'm really stressed, Skittles and Snickers will take the edge off. The woman is a first century picture, not just of some special case. She's a picture of humanity. If you make her just the woman at the well by herself and you don't relate to her at all, this story is not going to mean anything to you. Dare I say Jesus will mean nothing to you. And so we don't talk like this openly. Um, but you know where it comes out? This kind of chaotic desperation, or shall I say, she's pathetic. Pathetic. Do you know, the word pathetic has sort of a, 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 a kind of a negative connotation, uh, but you know it just means to arouse pity. Pathetic. Where our, our apathetic or our pathetic sense or our pity comes from, it comes in our songs. So we listen to the radio. The best songs are the ones that like, let us be pitiful. And I'll, and I'll try to reach every generation with these. I love songs, and I'm in, the music, I'm, in the, I'm in Music City, so I can do this. The first one from my parents' generation, and an excellent song, ELO. Amazing song, Telephone Line, a incredible song musically, but have you listened to the words? This is the saddest song ever. Hello, how are you? Have you been all right through all these lonely, 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 lonely nights? Five lonelies, I counted them. That's what I'd say. I'd tell you everything if you'd pick up the telephone. He's not even having a conversation with anyone. Hey, how you feeling? Are you still the same? Can't you realize the things that we did, we did? We're all for real, not a dream. I just can't believe they've all faded out of view. Telephone line, give me some time. I'm living in twilight. That's a human condition. That's why we love those songs. Or like one I remember, I'll never forget my guilty pleasure song, Against All Odds by Phil Collins. How can you just walk away? just lets you leave without a trace. When I stand here taking every breath with you, you're the only one 
who really knew me at all. Do you feel the thirst? You're the only one. And then finally, I hate to show up out of the blue uninvited. I just couldn't stay away. I couldn't fight it. I'd hoped you'd see my face and that you'd be reminded that for me, it isn't over. Adele, never mind. I'll find someone like you. See, we have to be stirred in that way because we are so thirsty and so desperate and so pathetic in order for us to really get the edge of this story that we're all striving, we're all striving for something beautiful and wonderful and we can't find it. And the more we try and try, the more it it escapes our grasp. Do you feel her? Do you feel your own chaotic thirst? Do you feel the puzzle pieces on fire? Do you feel the confusion? Do you feel it? Now, let's meet the deep love of Jesus. Our second point. I'm just going to read some sections from this passage. Here she is with her chaotic thirst, and it says, We're told he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. That little word means it was necessary. He had to pass through Samaria. He tells her the hour is coming. Verse 23, the hour is coming is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit of the truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. It's necessary, he has to go through Samaria because the Father is seeking her. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who is it that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, he would have given you living water. Here she is, hurt, guilty, ashamed, invisible, confused, chaotic, thrown, without a prayer, without anyone. Jesus had to see her. In her chaos. She's not prepared. She hasn't like cleaned herself up. She just just shows up. There's a a, a writer, theologian, interesting guy named Kenneth Bailey who brings out this idea of, of God's deep love in Jesus. And here's his deep love is near. Bailey says, by deliberately sitting on the well without a bucket, Jesus placed himself strategically to be in need of whomever appeared with the necessary equipment. The woman approached. On seeing her, Jesus was expected to courteously withdraw a distance of at least 20 feet, indicating that it was both safe and culturally appropriate for her to approach the well. Jesus did not move as she approached. She decided to draw near anyway. Then comes the surprise. Jesus asks her for a drink. By making this request, he does three things. He breaks the social taboo against talking to a woman. A strange man, you don't even make eye contact with a strange man in a village like this. Jesus ignored the 500-year-old hostility that had developed between Jews and Samaritans. They didn't even drink out of the same cups. 
Jesus totally humbles himself that he needs her services. Jesus does not establish his initial relationship with her by explaining how she needs him and his message that will come later. Rather, his opening lines mean this, I'm weak, I need help, can you help me? She's thirsty, she's clueless, but look what God is doing here. He goes so near her, he goes underneath her sin. Here's what he's saying, I'm pathetic. I'm more pathetic than you, I need your help. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I'll not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband, come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you have no husbands. You've had five husbands. And now the one you have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. So it's... The deep love of Jesus is near us right now in your chaos. When we think of it only as a future event, we miss it. It's right now, where you are, right now. That's what Jesus is doing. If it's not right now, it's an abstraction to you. I've lost count of how many people have said, I know that God loves me, but I don't feel it. Look at him. Look at him. Near. But it's not only near, it's true. His love is true. He tells her everything she ever did. She says it twice. If she said it twice, she said it a hundred times. I met a man who told me everything I ever did. That's her, that's her testimony, by the way. I met a man that told me everything I ever did. That is a great sermon, by the way. I met a man that told me everything I ever did. He speaks her greatest hurt, her greatest shame, her greatest guilt into the air. He unmasks it. And shame on me for preaching a passage like I had before that I looked at, like Jesus was blowing her mind. Like Jesus was like, oh yeah, I got you. That's the way I preached it. Yeah, you're a liar. That says a lot about how I think God is. That's not what Jesus is doing. You've, have, you've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. It's interesting that she goes, I may perceive you're a prophet. I have no husband, I perceive you're a prophet. That's a great like, let's change the subject, preacher. He doesn't let her change the subject. If you can go back later and see the narrative, he doesn't. He keeps going toward her, toward her. She wants to talk about worship styles. She wants to talk about how great Jacob is and his well, and she was boasting in that, her identity and trying to, she was, she was grasping at anything. Like, are you better than Jacob? Or like, hey, let's talk about worship. She's grasping at anything to avoid the greatest, darkest, broken puzzle piece inside of her. And here's what Jesus is saying. I know you. I, I know you. I know all about you. We have all these things that we've done and that we wanted to do but we haven't done. We have our strengths and our weaknesses. We have our soul-shattering memories that we keep locked up in an attic in our souls. 
We have a we've stupid, brainless attempts to make our lives work, and they made them worse. We give and we give, and it's not enough. We like do the best we can with our kids, and they're still going to be like themselves. You work and you work, but it doesn't cancel your guilt. And on any given Sunday, some of you come here smiling and some of you come here crying. Some frozen in a fortress of solitude. All of us thirsty and dirty. And here's what he's saying to us. I really do know you. Here's what's so amazing about this woman. Here's what she's saying. He knows me better than I know myself. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. It's vast. It's unmeasured. It's boundless. It's free. He calls himself the gift of God. Here's what he's saying to our chaos. I'm deeper than your sin. This is the best news you're going to hear. Jesus is greater than Jacob. That's the irony. Are you greater than our father Jacob? She's like, you have no idea, woman. His love is deeper than that well. See, what we see is this life that we have and the ups and the downs and the successes and the failures, this life, and we're defining ourselves and comparing ourselves to other people and we're comparing our outsides with, with our insides with their outsides. I heard one guy say, like, we're doing all that stuff. And here's what Jesus is doing. It's, it, it's the great surprise. In the midst of all of our ups and downs, even our death and our life, our health, the good times and the bad times. Jesus, his love is right now deeper than all of it. It's deeper than your failure. It's deeper than your success. Illustration of this, I was at McDougal's a couple of weeks ago, the chicken place. And I was walking out of McDougal's and I hadn't realized when I went into McDougal's that there is the biggest hole I've ever seen in my life between like 21st, basically, and McDougal's. It's just a massive hole. Congratulations, whoever dug it. That is a really impressive hole. I'm sure something impressive is going to be there. But I was walking over it, and I looked at it, and I was like, I looked at it, and it, it got, I kind of got scared because you look at it, and it's like, oh, that's deep. It's like, oh, that's deeper than I even thought. And there was a guy who was working there uh, on the street who was working in it, and he made eye contact with me, and he kind of saw that I saw it, and he looked at me like, yeah, uh-huh, right? You don't want to fall in there. And I was like, whoa. Here's what occurred to me in that moment. It's like our life is Nashville. It's, it's like we think that this is the truest reality. There's something deeper. The deep love of Jesus means that no matter how chaotic, how sad, how tragic, how messed up you are right this very minute, that in Christ there is a love that will swallow you whole. Right now. 
That's the surprise. Have you been surprised by his love? Five husbands, one lover, alone in the middle of the day, surprise. Love wins. Thirsty, hungry hearts. So I want you to think about your life and all those different things. And I want you to realize that that deep thirst, the chaotic thirst, that what God wants more than anything, what my friend Bill Delvo said, what God wants more than anything is God wants to give himself to you. That's it. That's the water. That's the bread. That's the light. That's what it all, he wants to give himself to you. And he wants you to stop trying to fix yourself to get it. You can't. All you need, what do you need for water? Thirst. So what? I'll close with this quote from Henry Nouwen in his book, The Inner Voice of Love. Where you are most human, most yourself, weakest, there Jesus lives. Bring your fearful self home, you bring Jesus home. God seems so distant to so many of us, it's because you are so distant from yourself. You left that kid. You left him in the seventh grade or her in the seventh grade. You put her in an orange shoebox up in a closet somewhere. You don't feel close to God. It's because you're not close to you. God is close to you. You're not close to you. We are living every day trying to justify ourselves, comparing ourselves, condemning ourselves like broken cisterns that cannot hold water. He will only feel near. He will only feel near experientially when you need him. He opposes the proud, self-sufficient. I'm good. Like, here's what he's saying. You're dying of thirst. I- I'm good. I- I'm going to take care of this. How's it going? By the way, like, how are you doing with your thirst? But just say, like, I'm so thirsty and I'm such a mess. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so my question for you is, how are you actually really, right now, 929, really like this woman? And practically turn off your phone. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Turn it off. Sit in a quiet room. I just did, I, I, can you believe I just said something practical? A preacher just, I just actually said something practical. I'm a wildly impractical person. Turn your phone off for five minutes and 10 minutes and just be quiet and say, God, do you love me? I don't, like, and be honest about the chaos in you and he'll move toward you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we don't trust you and we trust you and we don't love you and we're back and forth but your love is eternal. You are the Alpha and the Omega. Would you show up, Holy Spirit, and apply this to your people. In Jesus' name, amen.